I am not Todd Trailer. Um, if I was a little older, a little wiser, CEO of my own company, perhaps. I'm the CEO of Funky Youth Ministry, but it doesn't have the same ring as Metaval. Eight grandchildren, yeah. Hopefully, someday. What kind of a church lets the unlicensed, unordained youth pastor preach twice in a row? That's what I want to know. And we've even, we've even got somebody here from the Presbytery Credentials Committee, I just noticed. So if we get brought up on charges, it's all you, Dave. You're going down for that one. I'm, you, you, you guys know I'm, I'm on the last stretch of getting there, unless the <laughs> credentials committee knows something I don't. <laughs> so I've taken all my exams, I'm working on papers, I've gotta turn them in by Wednesday so I can go to Virginia Beach with the high school group with a clear conscience. So pray for me to do that. So uh, this morning's sermon, uh, Todd did write his sermon, and so he just emailed it to me on Thursday when he found out he was heading to Oklahoma uh, to be with his family. And uh, so it's, um, I'm gonna be reading most of his sermon. It's, it's a message that God had laid on his heart. And so let me, um, you, you, you should know he is the head, the chairman of the Multiply Ministry Initiative, which we will kick off in the fall. Um, so let me uh, give you what he's, context of this message. We are taking a break from Revelation. We will finish by the end of the summer. Uh, but we are actually in Exodus again. Um, we were in Exodus in May with one of my sermons, but here we are, uh, Exodus 35. But Todd writes, God is a provider God. He is the one who supplies all of our needs and more. This is significant because God is at work at Potomac Hills and is doing many exciting things among us. You probably remember the in-home listening sessions from the fall that uh, Dean Luckenbaugh and Greg Metals conducted at uh, the direction of the session. We, all the elders hosted and the pastors, we got to hear from you what you love about our church, what you would change, where you see us going. And so we've taken that um, and we've made some changes, we've done some things, we're continuing to kind of work out uh, how, progressing in ministry is gonna look. And a big piece of that in the session senses that God is leading us in a direction that will truly multiply the fruits of the ministry in our church. And we've named this Multiply Ministry at Potomac Hills and we're very actively organizing a campaign to fund the things that we believe the Lord is leading us to accomplish. Uh, you'll be fully informed about Multiply Ministry as we move into the fall months and as the Lord brings our plans into place. So with that in mind, we have a, a message from Exodus 35. And as I did last week, I've got a few disclaimers. Um, you're gonna hear this sermon and hear that God built a tabernacle in the Old Testament, and you might be tempted to think, all right, we're getting a building. So don't do that, okay? Someday, the Lord, God willing, we will be blessed with uh, a building, a worship, final worship 
facility that can meet our needs for that. But for now, we are in Harbor Park and it is treating us great despite the occasional cancellation. And um, so the, the ministry initiative is focusing on office space, staff, a few other things we want to accomplish. So just keep that in mind as you hear this. Uh, the second thing as we, as we hear from Exodus is that we want to affirm strongly that we don't take our theology from narrative passages alone. Uh, that can be dangerous ground. Uh, yes, we read that Joshua marched around Jericho seven times and it fell down, so does that mean we can march around things and pray and it'll happen? That, that's dangerous to do. But to, so we're gonna read what the Lord did among his community, but there are great parallels and we can pull great truths from every part of scripture. And the third disclaimer is that Todd had chosen that song, Jesus Paid It All, uh, as special music, and that is certainly true in grace and salvation, but we're gonna expect some money from you when this campaign (laughs) kicks All right, that was Todd's. All right, if, uh, please turn to Exodus 35. Uh, or if you have, the, the insert is not an outline, it's, it's a lot of scripture that we're gonna work our way through. So we're gonna start with Exodus 35, verse four. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned rams, skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate piece. So let's, let's set this a little bit in context. We can ask kind of the who, what, where, why questions and just to get our frame of reference for where we are in the scriptures since we're really going through the book of Revelation. Let's see where we are in Exodus. Uh, who we are right now uh, looking at the congregation of all of Israel who are wandering in the wilderness, right? And it says that Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel. So he's got an important word. He gathers everyone, uh, the 12 tribes. And when, this is, this is, they've been wandering for a little bit. Remember, they wandered for 40 years. This is early on, but it's after Moses went to Mount Sinai and received the law, the 10 commandments. And as you remember, when he got back to the congregation, to the, to the Israelites, Aaron had had everybody contribute their wealth and built the golden calf, an idol. So we are shortly after that time, but keeping that in mind, that we've had the law, we've had great sin on Israel's part. And the what is the call to build the tabernacle, which is, really the first time the Israelites have had a place to worship. While Moses had been up on the mountain, God had given him the command to build the tabernacle. Um, 
flip back to Exodus 25, and if you have the handout, it's, it's on the back. This doesn't go in order of the sermon, but we find uh, Exodus 25, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, remember this is up on the mountain, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns. Notice that the exact wording is found in Exodus 35. So in this Exodus 35 passage, God gave, Moses gave the commandment of the Lord exactly as he received it from God on that day on top of the mountain. He commanded Moses to take a contribution for making a sanctuary. What's significant about that sanctuary? Look back at Exodus 25, verse eight. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God desires to dwell in the midst of his people. That's remarkable in and of itself. So much does God desire to dwell in the midst of his people that God gave Moses the commandments to take a contribution, but he also gave Moses very explicit instructions concerning how it was to be constructed. Uh, It's furnishings, the garments for Aaron and the priests, the Ark of the Covenant, everything else that God commanded concerning its construction. So continuing in in, uh, Exodus 25, verse nine, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So what did God command the people to do to build the tabernacle? Let's go back to Exodus 35. I hope you can jump around quickly. So verse five, what did it say? Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. The NIV translates this as, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. These people were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Now they've been wandering around in the wilderness. Did it bother you? Did that question come up? Where would they have gotten all these things? Especially the types of items that God commanded them to give. You remember the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, oil, spices? Where would they have gotten this? I mean, wouldn't we expect these people to just be dragging their donkey and their kids and getting by on what they can? How could God command a contribution of items that the people simply did not have to give? Well, if you remember a small detail in the Exodus narrative, and you gotta go back even farther, Exodus 12, 35 and 36. It's the very end of the insert. The people of Israel had done as Moses told them. This is when they're getting ready to leave. This is right after the Passover. Um, Getting ready to leave Egypt for the last time. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered 
the Egyptians. So the answer to where they're gonna find this, they've plundered Egypt. And so they still have everything they brought with them. And there was an emphasis on the Lord had given the people of Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have whatever they asked for. That's, that's quite amazing. As you think, a slave people who were trying to get out and they just handed them their wealth. But it was the Lord himself who supplied his people with the items that he would require of them in their contribution. They had the stuff to give because God gave it to them. God was just asking them to give some of it back to him. So how is that different from what God wants us to give today? For the ministry of the gospel, the advancement of his kingdom, there is no difference. It's still the same. God supplies us with that which he wants us to give back to him. And it doesn't have to be money. God supplies some with financial gain from which he wants offerings of money. It could be a small amount. It could be an abundance but he supplies others with special talents and skills from which he wants their labor in the furtherance of his kingdom. Wealth from the hand of God comes in different forms, various amounts, so that we all have something to give back to God. We all may participate and experience the great joy of giving to him. God has not reserved the joy of giving only to those he has chosen to make material wealthy. All of his people can participate and the joy of giving according to how God supplies each of us, whether it be with material wealth or with special skills or both. Now the story is told of a a church meeting where a wealthy man rose to tell the congregation about his faith. He said, I'm a millionaire and I attribute my wealth to the blessings of God in my life. He went on to recall the turning point in his life and in his faith. As a young man, he had just earned his first dollar and he was eagerly thinking of all the possibilities of using that. When he happened upon a church meeting, he found himself consumed by the message he heard that night and when he saw the offering plate, he knew that he would either have to give it all to God or nothing at all. At that moment, he decided to give everything he had to God. And looking back, he knew that God had blessed this decision and made him a successful man. When he finished his story, an odd silence filled the room. But as he returned to his seat, an elderly woman leaned over to him and said, I dare you to do it again. (laughs) It's interesting that God here doesn't command everyone to make a material contribution for the tabernacle. Who did God ask to give material possessions in a contribution? Look closely, look at verse six. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. I think that's, this is the ESV we've got printed and what I'm reading, the NIV says everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. Everyone who had some of the requested items, whether a little or a lot, and wanted to give, those were the people who were to bring the contribution. There was no arm twisting, no gimmicks, 
No play on emotions, no guilt trips here. If you wanna give, then give freely and with a joyful heart. And the implication is that those who did not wanna give were not commanded to give. So as we embark on the Multiply Ministry campaign this fall, that's a great model for us to follow. If a person wants to give willingly, then come and make a contribution to the Lord. Now remember that this is Todd speaking. I'll take anybody's money. No. (laughs) That's a good point though. God chooses to use people with willing hearts and he supplies those people with what is needed for the contribution. And God brings about the increase. Whatever God wants to be accomplished for himself at Potomac Hills will indeed be accomplished. And it will be through his people and it will be for his glory. When all is said and done, we may unite our hearts and say, wow, look in what the Lord has done. And whatever God builds here at Potomac Hills is for him. It's for his kingdom, it's for his praise. And it's not merely to give us what we want or to make us more comfortable. It is for the forward progress of his kingdom. So what else did God command concerning the construction of his tabernacle? Pick up with Exodus 35, verses 10 through 19. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen. And then verses 13 through 19, continue to describe in detail the things that the craftsmen were to make. So here God commands every skilled craftsman to come and make the tabernacle its tent, its coverings, its furnishings, the garment, all that God had commanded. He didn't only tell the craftsmen who had willing hearts to come. He told every craftsman to come. I think we can see a good parallel for our need as a body to bring our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our ministries together. God calls us to that in addition to what he calls what we give from our checkbooks, our pocketbooks. So Moses delivered God's command to the people, then what happened? Let's look at verse 20. They came and brought the Lord's contribution. Again, the NIV says that, then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone came and brought an offering to the Lord. It appears that the people responded with some immediacy. It looks like they withdrew from the presence of Moses, went and picked up the items for the contribution, and immediately came back with their offerings. We can't be sure, we don't wanna take liberties of scripture, but it appears that they didn't tarry. They went and they came back ready to give. So listen closer, verses 22 through 29, to how the people obeyed their God. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. 
And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goat's sprinkins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded my Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. I hope you can see that scene in your mind as we read it. And the passage reinforces over and over that the people with willing hearts brought the contribution Verse 29 says that the men and women who brought an offering brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. No one was under compulsion to give. They gave it freely and with joyful hearts. They brought the stuff they already possessed. They brought the stuff that the Lord himself had supplied. They gave back to the Lord that which was his to begin with. So now verses 30 through 36, one. Now the material offerings have been coming in. It was time to begin construction. So verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, see the Lord has called my name, Bezalel, the son of Yori, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by, by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. And Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So just as the Lord gave the people the stuff they were to bring for the offering, he also called some master craftsmen by name and filled them, supplied them with the spirit of God, with intelligence, knowledge, and the ability to perform exacting work. So the construction of the tabernacle is underway. The people were still bringing their free will offerings every morning. And that continued until one day something very bizarre happened. Listen to chapter 36, verses two through six. And Moses called Bezalel and Elholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. 
They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Let me just read a little bit of that again. Do you see how bizarre? The people bring much more than enough for doing the work. And the deacons passed out from shock. (laughs) Imagine Pastor Silvernail saying to us, making an announcement one Sunday morning, people of God, your generosity has far exceeded the needs of the Lord's work at Potomac Hills and all of the ministries we sponsor. I must now insist that you refrain from bringing any more money in free will offerings for the amount that you have already given is far too much. I, I can't imagine that. Maybe you can. Now, I know Todd knows that Potomac Hills is a very generous people. And even though the, our church is generous, the concept of giving too much is somewhat difficult, somewhat foreign, not only for us, but I think for all evangelical Christians. Every time I read this passage of scripture, I marvel at it. What's wrong here? Think about it. To whom are we giving our offerings and what is it that we are giving? Christians are giving to the God of all grace, the God of our salvation, our Redeemer King, and we are giving to him that which belongs to him anyway. How is it that we Christians can be so tight-fisted sometimes? This is Todd again. Shouldn't giving way too much be the norm for Christians and not the far-fetched exception to the norm? Shouldn't it always be that God's people give way too much instead of not enough? Shouldn't our missionaries be overfunded? Shouldn't our church facilities be the nicest and have the nicest furnishings? Shouldn't everything we do in the ministry of the gospel be sufficiently funded and more? Shouldn't we as the people of God be told from time to time to refrain from giving because our gifts have exceeded the needs. Shouldn't we be compelled to give too much because we're so grateful that the Lord has loosed us from our sin? Actually, this is the only incident in the Bible that I'm aware of where the people were strained from giving anymore. That there are plenty of examples where the people gave in incredibly generous ways. Paul writes to the church in relatively wealthy Corinth about the generosity of the churches to the north in Macedonia. Paul says that they've gave generously out of their poverty and beyond their means to take part in ministry. In the early church, as recorded in Acts 2 and 4, some of the people sold their possessions and brought the proceeds and laid them at the apostles' feet. There was not a needy person among them as the proceeds were distributed to those who had need. These are just two of several examples of how generous the early Christians were. 
So what's wrong with us? And I'm referring to all Christianity. Many churches in the United States can't make their budgets. Pastors and staff take salary cuts. Missionaries are severely underfunded. Building and expansion plans flounder. Many Christians give inconsistently and most do not tithe. The Bible has a lot to say about money. If you've taken the crown course, you've heard this. Uh, Howard Dayton is the author of the book, Your Money Counts. And he makes these remarks about the Bible's teachings. 16 of the 38 parables taught by Jesus involve how to handle money and possessions somehow. The Bible offers about 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,300 verses on money and possessions. And Jesus clearly links our hearts to money and warns us against the love of it. So okay, maybe we won't see a time when we're restrained from giving any more because we've given too much, but by the grace of God, the power of his spirit, working within us, we can become more obedient in this important area of our spiritual lives. I realize that I'm now speaking to the people of Potomac Hills and already generous people. We have many very exciting things to be accomplished at Potomac Hills with respect to ministry and serving our gracious provider God. So it is with much respect for your generosity that I offer these considerations about money and giving. I'll give you five. First, let's assess our material wealth. And some of you are thinking, what wealth? And I'm not going to insult your intelligence by making that worn out argument that we live in Loudoun County. It's wealthier than most of America, much less the world. The fact of the matter is that we live in the US in a suburb of one of the nation's largest metro areas where we are essentially forced to live in high cost housing, not many alternatives. Owning not one but two cars is usually a must. Our children need to be educated with an undergraduate degree, if not a master's degree. We've just been through and are still in one of the worst recessions extending globally that most of us have ever seen. Some have lost jobs, some aren't sure about their jobs tomorrow. Many have had pay cuts, most have had no pay increases. Our 401ks and property values have suffered substantial loss. Living here is expensive. Raising children here is expensive. We've taken a hit financially and we boldly say let us assess our wealth but God can still provide for us in recession. Even after all that has happened during the past couple of years, we still have some residual wealth. So what we are asking, let's just say, I'm just saying let us assess our wealth ever how much or how little. Let us clearly understand where it's located, what's in whether it's a penny, a dollar, a million dollars, think it over. Number two, after we have assessed our wealth, let us remember its source and to whom it really belongs. Everything we have comes directly from the hand of God and therefore it all really belongs to him. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness, God provided their wealth needed for the offering through plundering the Egyptians. Now our wealth today 
comes mainly from our labor. But God provides even that, does he not? There is a ton of scripture that teaches that our wealth and possessions come from God and belong to him. So let us simply remember the source of our wealth and to whom it really belongs. Number three, let us examine our hearts. Do we have willing hearts to give to the Lord's work? My earlier illustration, it's easy to give everything when you have a dollar. A little harder when you have a million. But what really motivated the Israelites to give so generously? Was it their love for their savior God? Do we have willing hearts to give? Let's take some prayerful time to examine our hearts and answer that question. If our answer is not real willing, that's okay. Remember that we serve a God of much grace and he can change unwilling hearts into willing hearts through prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Let us ask God to give us willing hearts to give to him. Fourth, let's consider our faith. Do we really believe that God knows our needs and that he can and will continue to be our divine provider? Do we really believe that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness that all in our needs will be added to us? Yes, I really believe that, but just like everything else that I believe about God, I don't always live like I believe. So let us pray that as we learn to give with willing hearts, that God would build our faith to trust solely in him as our provider. Let us be very careful not to trust in ourselves, our jobs, or in any of the material wealth that God has given to us. Let us trust in God alone for our needs and to supply that which he wants us to bring as an offering to him. And finally, let us evaluate our stewardship of the material wealth that God has given us. Evaluate our wealth, assess our wealth, remember its source, examine our hearts, examine our faith. Let's evaluate our stewardship. We should carefully look at, again, how we manage the money and possessions that God has given us. Stewardship is absolutely fundamental to the whole money and giving area. God is always faithful to supply our needs and give us that which he wants us to give back to him for the ministry of the gospel. So how well we obey as stewards directly affects how well we obey as givers. Let us understand that God does not provide wealth in equal amounts to each of us. Nevertheless, we all have the responsibility to faithfully and properly manage what he does give to us. In 1966, an American pilot named Dieter Dengler was shot down over Laos. He survived, but he was captured. And he was put into a POW camp where he was tortured, half-starved, and psychologically abused. Finally, after many long months, he escaped and now down to 85 pounds, began to make his way through the jungle. Barefoot, surviving monsoons, leeches, machete-wielding villagers. He finally came to a clearing where he saw an army helicopter. And although the, although the pilot wasn't sure who this emaciated, filthy man was, eventually he decided to go down closer and Dieter was rescued. 
They've made a movie about him and a documentary. What stood out to me as I saw the documentary of his story was that Dieter Dengler still regularly visits the man who picked him up. He throws a feast for him and they talk about the war and his escape. But God did so much more than just pick us up in a one-time search and rescue mission. He brought us from death to life. He took us out of the prison of death, gave us a kingdom and an inheritance beyond anything we could ask or imagine. How do we respond to that? How do I respond to that? I'll never be able to repay it or earn my right to it, but it's natural for me to wanna give all I can to the one who saved my soul. And the beautiful thing is that all that I give is remembered. Nothing is lost. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves break in and steal. Truly, as Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let us think over this message joyfully with willing hearts, God's call to give. Remembering that he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider God, and that we are in the service of his ministry for the glory of our Savior King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Somewhat of an easy message to preach. It is a difficult message to practice. Lord, I pray that you would loosen our grip from what we feel we own. Show us that you own everything and that we are just stewards. Lord, thank you for Jesus' words to us that remind us the value of money. It's a test of our faith. May we strive to pass that test. Lord, thank you for the generosity that we see week in and week out here at Potomac Hills, that we have seen missions funded, that we've seen salaries and, and materials and programs and all of things. And as we step out even further, Lord, meet us in our need. But Lord, even greater than that, let us see our spiritual need that without you, we are nothing. We are dead in our sins. And that you offer us salvation, eternal life, and an unbelievable inheritance in eternity when you call us to be your sons and daughters through Christ and his sacrifice for us. Lord, help us to hear, to pray, and to respond. And it's in Jesus' holy name we ask. Amen. Would you stand for the closing song?